Good morning, my name is Jeff. It's my privilege to look with you now at uh, the passage that was just read for us, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 to 10. Can I encourage you to have a Bible open near so that you can read through it with me? We're going to read it again, think about what it means and how it applies to us. Let's ask God to help us. Let's pray. Our gracious God and loving Heavenly Father, we thank you for giving us your word. We pray now that you help us to understand this passage. We pray that you'll fill us with, with hope and with joy and with boldness. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, there used to be a lady in our church. Her name was Dot Fisher. I remember one time many years ago I went to visit Dot and uh, we had a cup of tea in her house in Lane Cove. And as we were sitting in her house, she told me the story of how her house came to be built. Many, many years ago, Dot and her husband, uh, they bought a block of land in Lane Cove. It was vacant, but covered in, in bushes. And so what they did, they, they bought a tent. They set up the tent and they moved into the tent. Now, both Dot and her husband had jobs during the day, but in their spare time, they cleared the land. And then they started to build their house. Each morning before work, they would get some clay and they would make some bricks, form some bricks and put the bricks into a kiln. Then they would head off to work. Then when they got home at night, they would take the bricks out of the kiln and lay the bricks into the house. And so gradually, brick by brick, day by day, month by month, their house was built. Now Dot and her husband lived in that tent uh, for a couple of years, but it was never meant to be permanent. They lived in their tent, but they were building their house. Now, there are people who live in tents on purpose, but the reality is for most of us, you would not want to live full-time in a tent. Not permanently, not if you have a choice. Tents are cramped. Tents are hot in summer. They are cold in winter. Tents are dirty. And tents are full of bugs. Tents also decay. Now, the other day I went into our garage to retrieve an old tent uh, for, for one of my children who was going off on a camping trip. And uh, as I pulled it out of the bag, it literally crumbled in my hands into smelly, horrible pieces. And it rotted away. It was totally unusable. Tents might be okay for a short camping trip. Maybe even okay to live temporarily in for a while while you're building your house. But a tent is not where you want to live forever. Not, not permanently. Now, so far, in his relationship with these Corinthians, Paul has been very bold. He was bold when he first went to Corinth. When he first went to Corinth, despite suffering, despite persecution, despite opposition, he shared the gospel week by week, and people became Christians. Later on, he then wrote a very bold letter to the Corinthians, what we call 1 Corinthians. It is very bold. It, it, he's, he's encouraging them and challenging them all kinds of issues, from what they eat to who they have sex with. There's all kinds of stuff that Paul is very bold in, in talking about. Paul then went and had a second visit in Corinth. We read about it earlier in 2 Corinthians. He had a second visit and he, he challenged the church to address the situation of a man who was involved in overt sin. He called on them to discipline the man. It went very badly, that visit. He wasn't backed. It was, it was a very poor visit. But it still didn't stop Paul from being bold. 
He then went on to write them another letter. Unfortunately, we don't have it. Another letter, a very stern letter, where he called on them to turn away from sin and live for Jesus. Paul has been consistently bold with the Corinthians, despite all kinds of opposition, despite persecution, despite suffering. He's kept on confidently, boldly calling on them to turn from sin, trust Jesus and live for him. But now, in the church in Corinth, there are these men who Paul will call the super apostles. He calls them that ironically. They are kind of charismatic, smarmy, popular teachers and they've come into the church and they're, they're trying to get the church to stop following Paul, to stop believing Paul's message and to start trusting them and, and believing them, all of course for a large fee. And part of their criticism of Paul, part of their criticism of Paul is the fact that he keeps on being bold even though he keeps on suffering and being persecuted. They're saying it is obvious that God is not with Paul. It's obvious that Paul is wrong about God. Otherwise, why would he have such an awful life? Why would he suffer so much? The only reason he keeps going is sheer stubbornness. Why is Paul so bold? Why does he keep on proclaiming Jesus, calling on people to live for Jesus, even when it means suffering? What gives him the confidence to keep going? Well, that's what he's been talking about in these last few chapters of 2 Corinthians, from chapter 2 to chapter 6. Now, you may remember from last... We've looked at all sorts of reasons over these last few weeks, and we'll come back to think about them again later. But last week, last week, let's see if anybody can remember. Uh, what was the reason why Paul said that we should be bold last week? Can anybody remember the, the action? And the, oh, yeah, excellent. Stars, star, stars of the you know, top of the class right here in front. Anybody else remember? Paul is... Far-sighted, far-sighted. He focuses not on the short-term present suffering, no, no, he looks beyond that to the eternal glory that is found in Christ. Uh, jump back with me just to chapter 4, verse 18. Chapter 4, verse 18, you'll see it. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, the suffering that is now, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. And now in this next section, Paul's going to talk more about this long-term future that he keeps his eyes on, and he uses the image of a tent and a house. He uses this image to contrast life in this world with life in the new heaven and new earth, to contrast this life, this, this body, with the resurrected body, the resurrected life that is promised through Jesus. Now, Paul starts off by saying that as Christians... We know that this earthly body, this tent, is not going to last. Soon it will be destroyed. Soon we will die. But we also know that God has prepared a house for us if we are trusting in Jesus. Just as Jesus died and rose again, we believe that we too will rise again and have resurrected bodies. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 1. Have a look with me. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And verse 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1. For we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven not built by human hands. It is a bit like the situation with Dot Fisher and her husband, isn't it? I thought it was a pretty neat illustration when she told me many years ago. They're living in their tent... 
but it was never meant to be permanent. They lived in their tent, but they were looking forward to their house. That is what it's like for us as Christians. This body is like a tent. It's temporary. It will soon be destroyed. But through Jesus, we look forward to a house, a resurrected body in a new heaven and earth. So what will that mean for us? What will it mean for us now if we realise this life is a tent, that life is a house? What difference will it make? Well, for Paul... The first thing that he says is that it makes him dissatisfied with this life. It makes him dissatisfied with this tent. If you realise there's a house waiting for you, you'll feel dissatisfied with your tent. You won't be able to help comparing what you've got now with what you will have then. Right now, if you realise that this life with all its sin and with all its suffering, is, if you realise that's not all there is, you will long for the day when you're transformed. No more sin, no more suffering. If you realise that now, this body with all its frailty and decay, if you realise that's not all there is, will you long for the day when you receive your resurrected body, knowing that he has a house makes Paul dissatisfied with the tent. Verse 2. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling, because when we're clothed, we'll not be found naked. For, For while we're in this tent, we groan and are burdened because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. I'm sure it must have been like this for Dot Fisher as she lived in that tent. Can you imagine every winter as she was shivering away in her tent? I bet she was looking forward to that warm house. Every summer as she sweltered away in that hot tent, I bet she was looking forward to that double brick home with air conditioning. Every day as she endured the discomfort of the tent, as she swatted away the mosquitoes, as she watched the tent rot away, she'd have been longing for that house. Tent life will be unsatisfying. And the Apostle Paul goes on to say that here in this tent life, if you rely on Jesus, God has given you his Holy Spirit. God's given you his Holy Spirit, the Spirit who enabled you to call on Jesus as Lord. But this same Spirit... He assures you that this tent is not all there is. He even gives you a a taste of the house. You just get a sense of what it's going to be like in heaven by the Spirit, a taste of the house that lies before you. And that, says Paul, is why he lives with such confidence. That is why... He presses on, boldly telling everyone about Jesus. That's where his confidence comes from. That's why he keeps talking about Jesus, even if it means suffering now. Paul doesn't live for what he can see, for the tent. No, no. Paul lives by faith, not sight. He lives believing God's promise that he has a house. In fact, he'd rather be in that house than be in the tent. And so no matter what, he confidently, boldly serves Jesus. Verse 5. Now, the one who has fashioned us for this very purpose is God, who has given us the spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Therefore, we are always confident. And know that as long as we're at home in the body, we're away from the Lord. We live by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and 
would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Again, this would have been true of Dot's tent. Of course, she could see the house coming. She could see it building brick by brick. She had that, that foretaste of the future. And you can imagine, as each brick was put on there, it would have made her even more unsatisfied with the tent. Would have made her long for that house more and more. It would have made her just get on confidently and diligently building the house. Paul knows that a house lies before him. The Spirit guarantees it. That leaves him unsatisfied, unimpressed with tent life. And it gives him confidence to live for Jesus no matter what, boldly call on people to turn from sin, trust Jesus. In fact, Paul goes on to say, it dictates his whole, his whole goal in life. Dead or alive, Paul's aim, Paul's goal is to please God, the God who has a house for him. Verse 9, so we make it our goal to please him, whether we are at home in the body or away from it. And then in this, in this last verse, Paul gives another reason why he lives to please God, why he boldly lives for Jesus. The day is coming when we will all stand before God, when we will face judgment, we will have to give account for the lives that we've lived. And the stuff that we do here in this, in this life, it'll matter. It'll matter on that last day. That's another reason Paul makes it his goal to please God. And come back to verse 9 again. So we make it our goal to please him. Whether we're at home in the body or away from it, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. All right. Can you see what's here then in this little section of 2 Corinthians chapter 5? Paul is making a contrast, isn't he? Contrast between this life, this body, this earth, and that life, the resurrected body, the new heaven, the new earth. This life, it's like a tent, soon to be destroyed. That life is like a house, forever. And for Paul, that means he refuses to be satisfied with his tent. He refuses to live for his tent. He, he refuses to live by sight. No, no, Paul lives by faith. He lives with the house in mind. And so in death or in life, with confidence, Paul boldly makes it his goal to please God. All right, friends, as we think about applying this passage to ourselves, I think the application is pretty direct, isn't it? Uh, you're living in a tent. I'm, I'm living in a tent. This life is not all there is. This life, this body, it will soon be destroyed. It's not going to last. Soon the day will come when you and I stand before Jesus and have to give account for what we did in this tent. And then if we're relying on the death and resurrection of Jesus, we'll spend eternity at home with the Lord. New resurrected bodies, new heaven, new earth, home at last. God has a house waiting for those who rely on Jesus. What difference did it make to Paul? It changed his whole goal in life. So let me ask you, friends, 
What's the goal of your life? What should your goal be as a student? What should your goal be as a, as a worker? What should your goal be for your family? What should your goal be for your leisure time? In Western culture, it's perfectly clear what the goal is. The goal of life is to be happy. You hear it all the time, especially as parents talk about what they hope for their children. Oh, they can do whatever they want. I just want them to be happy, they say. Not Asian parents, of course. (laughs) Asian parents don't want you to be happy. Asian parents want you to be successful, prosperous. You know what, ultimately I think the goal is exactly the same. It's just that Western parents think their kids know what will make them happy, where Asian parents know that what they think will make them happy will make them happy. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? They think if you're successful and prosperous, you'll be happy. It's It's still the ultimate, it's still the goal is the same. Our society is on a quest for happiness. And as Christians, we way too often buy into it. We want the best marks and the best jobs and the best families and the best houses and gardens and cars and toys, and we spend our lives slaving away on the tent, making it the best tent it could possibly be, all in this elusive quest for happiness. And meanwhile, we live as silent, timid, private Christians. So concerned about our happiness, so concerned that if we are bold for Jesus, we will risk our comfort and our happiness. So concerned that if we're bold for Jesus, it might wreck the tent that we keep silent, quiet, shy, timid. But friends, this passage tells us that we've misunderstood the present and that we've forgotten the future. We've misunderstood the present. We live as if, this is, as if this is the house and not the tent. And we've forgotten the future, that God has a house for us. A house better than we can ever imagine. Imagine, imagine Dot Fisher. Okay? Imagine if Dot had spent all her time on tent maintenance. This morning, I'm not going to bake any bricks. Instead, I'm going to paint some pretty designs on my tent. Oh, this evening, I'm not going to to lay any bricks. I'm going to patch some holes in the tent instead. I'm not going to spend my money on building the house. No, 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 I'm going to invest in some gold-plated tent pegs. Some some diamond-encrusted tent poles. Doesn't make any sense, does it? If you know the tent is temporary, if you know the house is coming, that's where you invest your life. That's what you make your goal. God has a house for us. For Paul, that meant dissatisfaction with this life, living boldly for the next life. That's what it should do for us as well, shouldn't it, friends? I remember back when my son Joel was preparing to go to university. We went to visit a guy by the name of Carl Mattai. He's the chaplain at the University of New South Wales. And quick advertisement, he's going to be speaking at our church weekend away this year. 
Uh, Carl kindly invited us over to his home. We sat down, he offered us a cup of tea, and then without further ado, he said to Joel, Joel, what's the point of going to university? Joel went, oh, okay, <laughs> and hesitated, and Carl said, well, let me take you back a step. Joel, what's the point of life? What should your goal in life be? Again, Joel hesitated, and so Carl answered his own question. He said, Joel, the goal of life is to please God. The goal of life is to boldly serve Jesus. The goal of life is for you to grow to maturity in him and help other people grow to maturity in Jesus. That's the goal of life. And so, Carl said, that's got to be the goal of university. If it's the goal of life, and if uni is part of life, then the goal of university has to be to please God, to serve Jesus. It means you go to university not first as a student. You go to university not first to prepare yourself to get a job and have a comfortable life. No, no, of course you do those things as a steward of the, the things that God has given you. But you go to university, first of all, as a Christian. With the goal of pleasing God, serving Jesus. With the goal of equipping yourself for a life of pleasing God and serving Jesus. With the goal of boldly helping other people to know Jesus and grow in him which then led Carl into a convincing advertisement for Campus Bible Study at the University of New South Wales. Uh, Joel and I both learned a valuable lesson that day. It's not what we were expecting to hear. Uh, for Joel, even though he couldn't uh, get the degree he wanted at University of New South Wales, he just took any degree, went there, got thoroughly involved in Campus Bible Study, and to his great benefit, immersed himself in the study of God's Word. Now, uh, my point is not to advertise Campus Bible Study, although it has done my boys a world of good. And, and I should say, this is why we support people like Sarah Weaver and people like Dan and Megan, because university is a critical time in people's life and development, and for us to have Christians on campus encouraging them to live, live for the Lord Jesus Christ is a vital and strategic ministry. None of that is the point, though. The point is this, and this is the point that Paul is making here, the goal of life is not to be happy, it's to be holy. The goal of life is not to be prosperous, it's to please God. You like the alliteration? Not happy, but holy. Not prosperous, but pleasing. Yeah? If you have a house, then the goal of living in this tent, whether it's at uni or at school or at work or at, in your family or in leisure... The goal is to please God by boldly serving Jesus. All right. All right, you know it's coming. Over these last few weeks, we've been trying to remember all the reasons from these chapters, chapters 2 to 6, why we should be bold. To help us remember, we've been doing it with some words and some actions. Okay, 9 o'clock congregation were really good. Everyone was doing the actions. 5.30 congregation were excellent. Everyone doing the actions. Let's see how we go at 10.45. Okay, we've been using the image, do you remember, of being a durian for Jesus? Okay, it goes back to chapter 2 of 2 Corinthians where Paul says, uh, boldly talking about Jesus, is like sharing the aroma of Jesus. Some people love it, some people hate it, like with durian, okay? So we're saying we want to be like a durian for Jesus. Uh, let's, let's see if we can remember the actions. I'm not going to help you, okay? Except with the action. You ready? Nice and loud, Link, so everyone, okay. I should be... Brilliant, brilliant. 
Well, now today we can add one more action to our series, okay? There's one more to go after this one. We're nearly there. One more action. I should be like a durian for Jesus because I have a house. I should be like a durian for Jesus because I have a house. Okay, try it with me, the whole thing. You ready? You ready? Okay. I should be like a durian for Jesus because it's about God's message, not me, because I'm gripped by the glory of the gospel, because God is the one who shines the light, because I'm far-sighted, and because I have a house. Brilliant, brilliant. 30 seconds to teach each other. Okay. Okay, well done, well done. Let's pray, and then we'll sing again. A gracious God and loving Heavenly Father, what an extraordinarily, extraordinarily wonderful hope you have given us of a house so much better than this life. Our Heavenly Father, thank you that this comes to us purely by your grace through the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray that on that last day as we stand before you, we will, we will do so with joy, knowing Jesus is our Saviour and having served him faithfully. We pray, Father, that you will help us in the light of the house that is before us to be bold, confident Christians living with the goal of pleasing you. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.